one. Welcome and hello everyone. I welcome everybody today to part two of my Dance Talk series. Um, dance Talk with Joanne Carey, where the Dance Talk, the Dance World connects the conversations inspire, and we are keeping them real. I am thrilled today to have uh, my friend and guest, Claire Kushmar, um, who recently retired from New York City Ballet. She is joining us, and we're going to talk about lots of things, not only her journey. You can check out her part one on my Instagram Live at Westfield School of Dance, and, and then we're going to talk about where she is now, and we're going to talk about a piece of choreography that she did that actually connected us and brought us together. So welcome, Claire. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So um, what I wanted to do before I even give a little bit about of your, of your bio, I wanted to read a quote. Um, I might have shared this with you in the past, and it's been a quote that has been really instrumental for me as an artist, for me when I... Um, had my dance studio and ran it and it stays at the forefront for me and it's really seeming to come around while I'm having these conversations um, with all the artists I bring on and it is um, the it is a quote from Pope John Paul II now Saint Saint John Paul II who he wrote it in 1999. Funny enough, I, I didn't realize that's how old it was um, until I was pulling it out for our talk and 1999 was actually the first season of my dance studio. And so, you know, you talk about being held, right? So the quote, um, he actually starts it off like this, and it's so beautiful. It says, to all who are passionately dedicated to the search for new epiphanies of beauty, so that through their creative work as artists, they may offer these gifts to the world. So that is, um, that inspires me and that is, I think, perfect for our talk today. But before we dive in, I just want to give a little bit of um, background about Claire and if she wants to add anything, please feel free. I'm going to, I pulled some things out from your bio. So like I said earlier, Claire has recently um, retired. I, I hate to say that word because she's so young, which, which full of vitality, right? We associate that with someone who's much older, um, but she's re retired from her career as a soloist with New York City Ballet. She has not retired from the from the dance world, from the ballet world. She's a native of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. She began dancing um, when she was quite young. She went to the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. She joined New York City Ballet as a core member in 2011, promoted to soloist in 2018, um, she's performed all, all such wonderful works there. You can, you can talk about those. Um, and she also, um, I'm not sure she's still doing it, but I know she recently was doing the co-hosting the Rosenbox segment of New York City Ballet's podcast, which is lots of fun to, to listen to. Um, she also choreographs. Um, she's starting teaching, um, and she's got all kinds of things she's doing. So if there's anything you want to add, Claire, please feel free to go ahead and add that. Oh, that's really, that's, you've summarized my career thus far in a really great way. Um, yeah. Good, good, good. So I just want to bring everybody up to speed who's listening to us. So um, Claire and I connected 
back in um, the fall, and I, th I think I mentioned this on our Instagram live, that I was getting actually in the process of hitting the live button to go live with the guest, and I hadn't had my notifications turned off. I had forgotten to turn them off, and somebody notified me and sent me the clip of choreography that you had done um, for the um, Choreographic Institute and with New York City Ballet. And I couldn't look at it then, but I briefly looked and I saw it had something to do with Lourdes and it had something to do with Blessed Mother, St. Bernadette. And I was like, oh, I was just like so taken. And I thought, I, I said, I have to look at this later. And I went on to do the Instagram live. And then later that evening, I went on and dug, dug, dug through everything to take a look at the clip. Um, and then I watched it and then I dug to find out who choreographed it because I couldn't find who it was connected to at first because I didn't know where I was looking. And I had um, found Claire and this is, I mean, it was late in the evening and I just messaged her, direct messaged her. And I just said, oh my gosh, I told her that I volunteer in Lourdes um, and I volunteer in the Baths of Lords. And I thought if she ever wanted to talk about it, I was like, I'm your gal. <laughs> so I sent it off and I didn't know whether she would respond or what have you. But around 6.30 a.m. the following morning, I got a message from Claire and then we met. And it's just, um, it's been wonderful ever since. Um, so yeah, so that is our connection of how we connected through Lords and Our Lady. Um, do you want to talk about any of that, Claire? Yeah, no, it's um, it's been such a gift from God to have the inspiration to do this piece and to be provided the resources um, in terms of dancers and a studio. Um, and the uh, composition, original composition of music for this piece, um, and really to be surrounded by um, people praying for the the fruit of this piece. So um, it's really been a huge grace to receive the inspiration and to be provided for all of the outlets to make it possible. And then for the divine providence of us coming together over this shared love for the story of St. Bernadette and Our Lady of Lourdes, um, who appeared to St. Bernadette in 1858, which we can get into that if you want later, but um, it's just been very providential, every element of this piece. And so it's always exciting to talk about it and to continue to unpack the layers yes. of it. So I think it'll be a joy to expand upon that today. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I like how you're saying that too. You know, um, you know, I'm a firm believer too that, you know, people are put in your path for a reason. And and when you do, when you start to unpack it, whether you're looking back or you're looking at things in the present or you go back and forth and you connect the dots. I know somebody who calls it connecting the dots, you know, um, it, it you really start to see the hand of God in things. If you're following that, if you're really attuned and attentive. And it, I found it so nice to connect um, to somebody in the dance world that was so open about their faith. And it's not to say or discredit anyone else. It's just that I hadn't come across that because I know there's tons of people, <laughs> there's tons of people who express their faith and who believe, but we, we find in the commercial part of it, 
you know, it's not talked about or expressed or outside of liturgical dance or in the church world. So when I saw this, I thought, wow, I have to like find out who this woman is and what's she all about? <laughs> you know, so, so that for me was a, a joy because it's been something that has really been the pulse of what I do and, and what I find so important as an artist is to, to put that, whatever you want to call it, I call it goodness and beauty out into the world. Um, and to tell the deeper part of your soul and, and I think that's what, you know, and, and you can add to this. There's always that thing we talk about as dancers um, and artists, but I'll speak specifically to dance because that's what we're talking about. Um, you know, there's something, there's this something about dance, right? We don't ever know what that it is. We, and, and we talk about it all the time. You know, kids talk about it, that they feel better when they're, when they're dancing. Teachers talk about it when they step into a dance studio. Dancers talk about it when they go into the dance studio. You know, when you're in that environment, there is something that transcends the world. And I, and I think that is the beauty of artistry. And I think as artists, because it it unpacks the layers of who we are. That's what we're expressing. And we, our vehicle is our body, right? And so that's what I, I have come to learn, especially having so many conversations this past year with different dancers. Do you want to add anything to that or, or give your take on that? Yeah, I think, I think something that's so special about dance is that we we like as you said we use our whole bodies to express the depths of our soul and so by doing by using that the the instrument that god has given us um to share our artistry and also in a non-verbal way so it requires us to be really intentional about our physicality so that we very carefully portray what's on the inside. I, I think there's something so unique to dance um, because of that connect, that deep connection of the physicality of the body and then the outward expression through that physicality of the soul. Yeah, yeah. And that that I think there's just something so captivating about seeing that in action and especially seeing that in action to music. Yes. Yes. Um, which is the, like the verbal component um, paired with, I would say our, our movement becomes the language yes. and the words that we speak, but the, the music it has, again, has that transcendent element that yes. matches, if not matches that complements perfectly. Yes. The, the, our movements with our bodies. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, you know, and I, as you're talking, you know, it, it brings to mind um, improvisation, you know, I don't know how much you do that in, um, you know, in New York City ballet, but I know in the modern world, you know, my background uh, is modern dance, and we did a lot of improvisation, you know, there's even a, a class in school, um, there's improvisation in school, there's contact improv, and there's this expiration, and, and in acting too, because I did study acting, you know, there's a whole 
improvisation component and it's to, to free yourself. It's to free yourself. I think to, to expose what's working on the inside, you know, to, to, to let, to trust the technique and then let that take over and hold you so that you can, for lack of a better word, you know, give birth to, to what's inside, you know, um, I, I find it. And I, at the studio, I would so often, you know, um, do so much improvisation with the students because of that, just to give them that freedom of expression. Um, do you have a lot of experience with improvisation? My, I have a little bit of experience with improvisation. Um, I think when I was younger at North Carolina School of the Arts in high school, we did do an improv class and like, a, I think it was even called composition class okay. where we would generate material based on improvisations and then make that into a piece. So I have that in my training a little bit. And then more recently, when the pandemic hit, I moved home to my parents' house for a few months and started doing these garage show series where one of the elements of dancing, I, I put on these shows for my parents' garage and had a little stage and a formal seating area outside. But one element of these shows was that I would draw a written note out of a hat and it would have some kind of word or phrase on it. And then I'd have to dance out that theme. And so I, would, I wouldn't know the theme um, until after drawing it out of a hat and I would have to think on my feet um, to make the dance. So that that's, I've kind of, in a way, unknowingly trained my improvisational techniques by just putting on that show for people yeah. Yeah. Um, and getting rid of any inhibitions that I have had or do have still. So, um, yes, yeah, so a little bit of formal training at school, but then also just this um, impromptu and necessary improv show yeah. um, for audiences when there weren't a lot of shows happening. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I have to say, and I, I know we spoke about it on the Instagram live. I did. I was able to catch one of them. Um, and in fact, this morning, my husband even referenced it. He says, oh, that was so great to watch that. So he it really made an impression on him. So I just want you to know that it was, it was, a it was a great thing to, to watch. Um, and, and let's talk about, you know, choreography. So not everybody's a choreographer, you know, not everybody's a teacher, not everybody's a, a dancer, you know, everybody finds their path or their niche, or they start at one place and they move towards another one um, in any kind of job. What drew you um, or draws you to that element of choreography, to, to exploring the choreography world? I think a few things come to mind, but one, I love music so much that I want to do something with it. And for a while that has been me wanting to dance, but I think more recently it has become me wanting to express my love of music by creating movements and stories in ballets that, um, that mirror my love of that music and that elevate the music in a, in a bodily and physical way. And with the art form that I have grown up loving. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I think, yeah, the desire to elevate or enhance or bring like a newness to the music um, and storytelling to the music is something that draws me to choreography. And um, I like curating. I really just enjoy putting together different pieces of a puzzle to make art. And that's something that I've realized in the past few years is that um, I think I have a knack for putting together different elements and making something uh, fruitful come out of that. Um, a knack maybe and a, just a desire, desire to try to do that. Yeah. So with choreography, you basically, you're curating all of these steps and fitting them together with different structures and with different dancers to make a beautiful piece. And I think those are my two reasons, like my love for the music and then my desire to curate uh, a piece of art that's beautiful and meaningful to audiences. Yeah. And, and so before we, we, we watch a part of one of the clips, um, so now with the, with the piece we're going to, we're going to unpack, um, you started without music. Correct. You started with the story first, didn't you? Or which, uh, probably the desire, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Like I, I had the idea for the ballet, and then I delivered that idea to the composer, who then was like, she was like, okay, I have all of these pieces of the story and the themes, and now she, then she made the piece of music what it is but yeah the story came first yeah and let's talk about that story right i think this is a perfect time to talk about that story so um what drew you to the story of lords and saint bernadette um a few things one was that in summer of 2019 i went to france one for a wedding and then two to visit lords and I think I, I'm trying to remember like what my initial, I'd found out about Lourdes somehow and I thought it would be a beautiful place to visit. I'd heard about the healing waters there and the beautiful chapel or the beautiful cathedral church um, and the processions there. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could combine both seeing this wedding and then also visiting this pilgrimage site. So I'd actually been to Lourdes before um, doing this piece. So I had all of this experiential wisdom from being there that I used eventually in the creation of the ballet. Um, but when I was offered the opportunity to create a ballet um, for the New York Choreographic Institute with School of American Ballet Dancers for the spring 2022 session of the Choreographic Institute, I I had just this idea of like tapping into the element of healing because at the time the whole the whole world it seems was um, grappling with the effects of COVID and what that did both um, physically as well as spiritually to everyone. And then also um, dealing with a lot, lots of division in our world. And so I, I just wanted, I, it wasn't, I was trying, I wasn't really trying to um, 
change anyone's minds necessarily, but I, I wanted to you I wanted to like unify people's hearts by showing them uh, or by delivering offering a theme that everyone could relate to. And I was like, what is like what is more what is not more relatable than like being healed? Like we all have had um, experiences where we've been hurt or um, dealt with an illness or an injury of some kind. So I just, the, the theme of healing kept coming back to me. And I had this experience from Lords of seeing extreme um, care for the sick. And then also the extreme elevation of hope um, for all who have been hurt or suffering. So anyway, at the time, like in uh, late 2021, December 2021, like thinking about the project for 2022, the theme of healing kept coming to me and the story of Lords kept coming to me. Um, and then I also had a priest friend of mine just confirm. He, I was like, should I do this story or should I do this story? And he was like, do that story, like do the Lord's story. And I was like, okay, all right. I won't question it. I'll run with it. Um, and I also did receive confirmation in prayer, like in my heart, I um, received confirmation that like that was to be the story that was shared in the ballet. And then from then I just took the steps, the little steps forward as they came. And that's, you know, that's beautiful. Cause I know we, I, we saved all of that. I wasn't aware of all of that. I didn't want to know all of that when we first interviewed, um, had our interview, cause I wanted to be able to talk about it now. And I, I just want to talk about a little bit what I do at Lords and Lords itself before then we go into, to some more things with your piece. So for anybody who is unaware, um, you know, Lourdes is in the Pyrenees in the southwest of France. Um, it takes quite a while to get there, you know, change of plane type of thing. And it's, it's you know, about eight hours south by train, I believe it is, from Paris. It's a little under two-hour flight um, from Paris. Um, and it's it, it lies right within the Pyrenees Mountains. The Pyrenees Mountains span the whole border between France and Spain. So often people will go to Lourdes and from Lourdes they will actually go into um, Portugal to go on to Fatima. Um, but Lourdes sits in the middle of this the, these beautiful, extraordinary mountains. Um, and in 1858, like you had said earlier, um, Blessed Mother had appeared to a young shepherd girl um, named Bernadette Subiru. Um, she wasn't a saint at the time, but she was Catholic. Um, and Blessed Mother appeared to her. At the time, there was no spring or grotto there. Or I shouldn't say no grotto. The grotto was there. The spring was not there. Um, she, there was a series of apparitions. Um, Bernadette did not know, was not aware who she was speaking with. She was quite ignorant, um, uneducated. You know, she was very uneducated for many reasons. Um, you know, it's, Lords today is not what Lords was in 1858. Um, and from there, uh, this water sprang up one, one during one of the apparitions, um, Bernadette uncovered the spring. Blessed mother had invited her to come and dig into the dig in the ground and to wash herself there. She, she had instructed her to wash herself there. 
And to the horror of the people watching, um, there was no water, but Bernadette dug and dug and dug. And the, the, the uh, ground was quite muddy, um, but Bernadette saw it and she washed her face and drank it. But what the people were witnessing was mud being put all upon her. Um, but then later that day, um, later that evening, um, the water sprang up. And then people, millions of people go there every year on pilgrimage. Um, and Blessed Mother is very clear that it's, it's you know, first of all, she's not just for Catholics. You know, she's for everyone. And Lourdes is for everyone. Um, it's a beautiful place of healing, like you say, spiritual, mental, physical. Um, I went to Lourdes for the first time in 2011 on a very small pilgrimage with a group of eight people. Um, and I saw what was being done in the baths, the helping, like you talked about the, the volunteering, the people carrying, um, really sick, really, really sick people into the, this cold water, um, for whatever they sought, uh, whatever kind of healing they sought. And, you don't have to be sick, physically sick to go. You don't even have to think you're sick, you know, but there's, there's always something for you. Um, and I wanted desperately to do that. And in 2012, I, um, went on my first volunteer trip and I've been going back ever since with the exception of the pandemic years, but I'm so happy to report that on February 7th of, of this year, I am flying to Lourdes and you are welcome to come and I am, it'll be three years exactly. Cause I, I would go, um, February for the feast day, the fe blessed mother first appeared February 11th. And it's a huge day in Lords, as you can imagine. It's also for anybody who doesn't know, it's the world day of the sick. So it's actually the world day of the sick. Um, but it's a huge, beautiful day in Lords. Um, I mean, thousands of people come and I'll be going back for the first time in three years. I was there exactly three years ago, right before the shutdown. And it feels like, it feels like the world zipped up and now it's unzipped for me, you know? And so I, I am delighted to be going back. So again, you talk about Providence that we're talking about it and then I'll be going back. Um, and like I said, you're welcome to come. Um, so that's how I got involved in um, being inside the baths themselves, helping people and people come, people come, like you said, I'm, I'm sure you saw when you were there from all over the world, all over the world, from all walks of life, from all over the world, young, old, in between, um, and it's a place of welcome. It's a place I find where, um, you know, the, the, the universal church is at its best. And when I say that, you know, um, you know, humanity, humanity at its best. And everybody, like you said, everybody's happy, like joyful, joy filled. And like you say, you see the difference. Like, I remember my very first year of volunteering and you, every person is treated like an individual. And, and that was one of the things St. Bernadette 
um, was so grateful to Blessed Mother. She said, no one ever, no one ever looked at me the way she did. And no one ever spoke to her the way she did. And as a volunteer, that's one of our, um, one of the vow, you know, you take a vow as a, when you become a permanent volunteer, there's a, there's a vow you take and you are to, um, be of service wherever you are in the world, um, to the sick, uh, wherever, wherever in, in any circumstance. Um, so you, you take Lords with you wherever you are in the world. Um, and my very first year, I remember I would take people into the water and then the peace that they experience afterwards where I would see them later. And you know how when you see somebody and then you see them later, you, you don't really remember who they are or, or they're just passing by and you're like, yeah, I think I saw that person. But the joy, just like the weight of the world has been lifted off of them. Um, so it's, that's something I, as a volunteer, continue to unpack because every experience is different. Um, yeah. So the fact that, that when I saw that you were doing this, I just was like, oh, I just have to, to see this. Yeah. So that's my involvement in Lords. But what I would like to do, um, of course, for is to show, I know you gave me a list of clips, but what I wanted to do is I just wanted to start at the very beginning. I wanted to start at the very, very beginning. I am going to, um, can you see? Can you see? I, I've had it up on the screen. So I've had it had it up. What I'm going to do is just start for everybody from the beginning um, for, for a little bit, just for everybody to, um, to get a sense of the, the start and the music. I just want to stop right there just to start just that little um, part at the beginning, which um, first of all, I want to ask you about filming, you know, doing the choreography and then having it filmed. Um, how was that? You know, how was that process? How was that? Well, um, initially I knew, <laughs> The very practical thing was that because it was going to be filmed, I knew that I wanted this piece to be as polished as possible. Because when something goes on film, it like more or less lasts forever. Um, and it lasts as it is forever. It's not like I can go back and edit the choreography. So there was definitely a bit of pressure on me to make a good piece. Mm -hmm. Um, and to also have the dancers look confident and beautiful and to just share their gifts as best as possible. Um, and then, I mean, really the, the filming day was like magical. Like it was supernatural, like how everything just came together. Um, the dance, what a really beautiful moment in the filming was that the dancers 
they got a little moment to come over to the camera because they kind of wanted to check something out. But then they came over, saw how it looked, and they said, oh, my goodness. Like, they, we look so beautiful. Or, like, it looks so beautiful. But, I, I mean, I can't remember their exact lingo, but I just remember they were, like, surprised by how beautiful the film looked. And so that was a that was a um, a gift that I had not foreseen of the film was that the dancers themselves realized how beautiful they were in the context of the ballet, but also just like as artists. So I don't know. Did um, I lose you? Anyway, that was really the film itself was very special. Did I lose and, you, Claire? Um, yeah, so many elements were at play there. Um, uh, my electricity's going out for some see. reason. I think the skirts add a lot. Can you still hear me? To the film. Um, like in a way that you, it aids I the visual of the I, film. I don't know what I, my electricity is going on and off. Uh, I think. Hello. Oh my gosh, can you believe that? Like my the the electricity went out. Like it flicked on and off and then it flicked on and off again. Like all, everything, like in my office, like the lights, boom, 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 went on and off. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, so I'm trying, I can't even get out of, and it says if I leave, the data might be lost. And I don't want to undo what we just recorded. Oh, can you believe that? I'm trying. It's, that's what I'm trying. It's, um, it's frozen on a page that says final repetition. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Let me see if I can go back. Yeah. Oh, Okay. No, I'm trying. I it's what what it says is Riverside FM says if you leave, some of your data might be lost. Um, so I, I but the only way I can get out, like I if I try to.
Claire. Welcome. So um, my electricity went out in the middle of that, but that's okay. We're going to fix it. No problem. I'm glad you can hear me okay? Yes, perfectly. Good. Good. So I'm going to go back to, I think what I'm going to go back to is the recording. I just have to uh, screen share again because I think it pops me off the screen share. So let me just do that for us. And I think, there we, uh, yep, there we go. Uh, okay, so this is what we were looking at. So I'm going to leave it there. You can see that. Can you see that on your screen? Good. Yes, yes, we're back up. <laughs> Very good. Right? Um, so what I wanted to say, wait, were you finished saying what, saying what you um, wanted to I say? Think so, yeah, I was just kind of highlighting the, yeah. the, the, the film was, was so, the film was so, um, so, it was like a supernatural, I mean, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but it was very supernatural in that, like, so many elements came to the forefront and were elevated, um, like just the dancers realized how beautiful they were on the camera. They got to a glimpse. Right. That's Yeah. And like that, and that in itself was one of them. It was one of the most unexpected gifts of the piece was that the dancers realized how dignified and beautiful they were Mm -hmm. and that they are. Um, I, I love how the skirts came to add to the beauty of the piece and they kind of captured the, the water element of Lords so beautifully. And they were made by someone who you've also had on the show, Nicole Elaine. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Nicole Elaine, um, who's a former veteran of United States Air Force, um, and also now a costume designer, makes tutus, skirts, all things. And um, she made the skirts for this piece and just did a beautiful job. Um, yeah. And then the, the the filmer, Quinn Wharton, also captured it in a very simple but elegant um, and yeah, simple and elegant way that's just beautiful to behold, which was all that I really desired from the film is, um, yeah, just because the the purity of the story of Lords is so... Yes, um, it's yes. so striking that uh, I just wanted everything to be simple and beautiful, um, but mystical all at the same time. So I think those things I hope come across in the film. They do, and you know, I was going to say something similar to that. That, and, but you you hit the nail on the head with that. And the reason I wanted to show that opening of the film part was that etherealness you know that and the beauty of the fabric and the the face behind the fabric and just that music like that opening i found when i watched it and i'm hoping you know when people are watching it now that it draws you in and that's that's what happens in lords you're drawn in (laughs) even if you resist there's something that draws you in and it's gentle. It's, it's gentle, like you said, and simple. Um, and it's, it's void of any kind of, um, any kind of added stuff. There's no, nothing, I'm going to say nothing sparkly (laughs) about it. Although the tradition, the traditions of the Catholic church and the traditions of the processions and the traditions of the certain masses they have in the celebrations are very elevated, but they're not, 
ostentatious, I guess is the word. You know, they, they, they continue to draw the person in, the pilgrim in. The experience is so universal. Um, Lords, I believe I can say, I mean, I haven't been to every pilgrim site that there is, you know, um, but it, it, it stands alone. And I think so many people say there's just something about Lourdes. Um, that, and I think it is that, that healing aspect. There is that place where you come, you come and you lay everything down, whether you realize you're doing it or not, it can happen internally. It can happen, you know, um, physically, but you lay everything down and there's healing that goes on. And you may not have it instantaneously. You may not even recognize it on your trip home. <laughs> you know, the graces are there after and continue. And you continue to draw on that water, you know, the image of the water, like you said. Um, so those few seconds, what is it? 35 seconds, 35 seconds. Um, let me see what it was. Yeah. 35 seconds, Claire. I get that from 35 seconds into the, into the film. Um, so, which I think is really beautiful. I know we, we caught the dancers in a funny pose here, but look, they're <laughs> really, <laughs> they're doing it together, which is beautiful. Um, so I, I wanted to, to continue with this next section. Um, and, and just let, you know, the viewers watch this next section and the music is stunning. I think that just the music is very, um, stunning. I'm going to pause there because if I, can you see my cursor here? Yes. This is our St. Bernadette. Is not is she not? Yes, that's it. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's her. I just wanted to point that out to everyone. Um yes. So again, talk about this section here. Talk about um yeah, talk about this section that we just watched. Yeah, so that this is kind of um setting the scene for when Bernadette sees Mary. So this is before she sees Mary and um, the, the foursome in the back, I, I often use the core dancers to represent um, the, the supporting characters or the nature of Lords. Oh, so okay. in the, like at, in this scene particular, I'm thinking of the dancers more as nature, um, especially the foursome in the back as being like the, the, some kind of trees or just um, shading where Bernadette encountered Mary, um, like at the grotto. I was even thinking specifically about the grotto. Um, and then the two dancers, the two women closer to the front. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then, then, yeah. So one of them, um, like Bernadette had a sister and then a friend who um, were together um, picking firewood for the home. And so that was their mission as they were going to this uh, grotto. And um, the step that the two women do together, but um, in a canon, is to 
represent how they would be maybe like picking up something heavy like firewood um, and then doing it together. And then Bernadette, who was, um, she had asthma, was a little weaker. Um, she comes onto the scene a little later and also attempts this. And I guess we've paused right before she does it, but also attempts to pick up the firewood and help her sister and her friend. Um, but all these elements of the story are present before Mary comes. Yes. And that's where we paused right now. Yes. And what I, what I found interesting having, you know, volunteering there and, and knowing, you know, the story and being so immersed in the story itself, it's, it's, it's the, uh, the lightness of Bernadette, you know, because, you know, we know her as a saint now, um, you know, in the Catholic church, we know her as a saint. She's recognized as a saint, but Bernadette, you know, Subiru was this very innocent girl, very innocent, very ignorant, yet she was sturdy. She was a sturdy, sturdy farmer, you know, and, and she had a really, uh, a real lightness about her, um, from all the, all the accounts that they, they let us read and get to know the history of Lourdes. And she enters onto that scene, um, as it's recounted, you know, when you read the history of Lourdes, when you read her journals, when you read her notes, you know, she just is who she is. You know, she shows up upon a scene. She wasn't, she didn't have an agenda. There was no agenda for her. They were there. Um, you know, and it's not literal. What, what I love about this too, um, and we spoke about this earlier, you know, getting into the depths, you know, what's going on internally. And I think that's what we see in the choreography is what's, while you're representing the story, I feel like the internal aspect of it is really present, which I, I find really, really beautiful. And I don't think anybody has to have gone to Lords to recognize that, that there's something mm -hmm. ethereal and light um, and mystical, like you were saying, transformative about the movement. That's my impression, <laughs> you know, of it. Uh, do you have anything you want to add to that? Um, well, first of all, like, thank you. That, that means a lot to hear that. Um, and it was one of my goals. I, I mean, some of the most captivating ballets that I see are the ones that really they do get to the depth of the soul, but they also are somehow spared the like ostentatiousness mm -hmm. of performance. Yeah, like we're picking up wood. We're picking up yes, wood. Yeah, and, and the literal, yeah, there's, there's a balance between being um, really lofty in your portrayal of art and then really literal, I think, or really, um, what's the word? Uh, there's a word I'm looking for. Pedantic kind of, that's. Yeah, yeah. There's a word that means it's like eschatological or something like that. Esoterical. Esoterical. Esoteric. Yeah. But the, if this is the right word, there's, I, I find that the ballets that captivate me most are the ones that are not too esoteric mm -hmm. and that aren't too literal, but that are somewhere in the middle. So, um, and I think with that, you just have I, the stripping down can um, enhance the purity of, and the depth of what you're trying to convey. 
So yeah, I didn't want to be too literal. I didn't want to, to like really like kind of awkwardly pick up firewood as you would in nature, but I wanted something to represent the the kind of weight and the the labor yeah. um, in a beautiful way. Yeah, no, uh, and then other things with that too. And, uh, yeah, and as you're saying that too, it's bringing me back to the original the original quote and the original theme and the fact that we are coming at our conversation from from our faith you know meaning that you know that's the human condition you know it's that it's not too much this not too much that but we have to have that sense of balance you know so i think you saying that um you know it shows me how important that is in your choreography or you as a teacher you as a person to pass that on that's what um that's what we're going to see more of. We're going to see more of that. I love that. Um, I am going to continue. I'm going to, um, I'm just going to continue right where we are. If that's okay. I know you gave me. Perfect. Specific clips. Yeah. Perfect. It's a short piece. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, let's see. I'm going to hit play. just going to pause again with all of that. So where, where we actually, oh, look, we caught her midair. <laughs> I caught her midair. Um, so, you know, again, you know, I, I feel, I feel that, you know, um, as an audience member, you know, when we're watching um, a performance and, and here in this case, we're watching ballet, you know, uh, we are drawn in because something Something speaks specifically to us, the audience member. And then on the flip side, you know, the artist, the choreographer, the dancer wants to portray something out to the audience, right? And there's that, there's that ebb and flow, that give and take. There's that thing, that thing I call, you know, that happens when you are drawn into a piece and then it, it causes you to drift away with it. You know, it takes you somewhere else. And I think why I'm watching it, you know, I've, I've watched it, you know, preparing for today, I've watched it several times and then watching it again with you, it gives me insight and correct me if I'm wrong of, of this being your experience of what Lourdes was like for you. Is that, 
Is that safe to say, or have you not really thought about that? I, I've not really thought about that, but I think, I think for any artist, part of you and part of your experience naturally goes into the work that you create. I just don't think that you can. There, I am. Um, I think there's almost no way to make something in which you aren't present. Part of the soul of the piece. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, that's fine to say. And a small anecdote to go with that is that when my mom watched the piece live, she actually got to see it perform live. Um, she, after the show, she was like, um, she said, I cried. And she said that one of the things she thought about was that Bernadette looks like me, like, especially when I was younger, like the, the dancer Bern who plays Bernadette, um, Alyssa, she just looks like me, especially when I was young. So I think, I think you're right in saying that like, this is, um, also part of my story with Lords and part of my story, knowing St. Bernadette. Um, and it comes across too, in the way that like, and this was, I, ca I cast people based on like the like the more the inside than the outside. I was like, what what does this person have to bring to the story that will that will fit with what the soul again, the soul of the piece. And yeah. so I, I chose this dancer to be Bernadette based on like what I saw more on the inside. Um, so it's interesting though that the outside ended up being someone who did look a lot like me when I was younger, but I really chose her because of how I saw her heart work yeah. in the ballet studio. Nice, nice. And then, you know, her in that that brief interaction at first, we're going to get to more of her interaction with, with uh, Mary, that brief interaction, you know, is so fleeting, you know, and I wanted more. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> wait, let me see more, you know, but, but I like, I like that it is fleeting because it's like if you've read any of the books or the account of it, or you know, Bernadette says, you know, there's this there's this recording of Bernadette. Um, it's not of her, obviously, of her voice, but they they speak, they read her words from her journal, um, and it talks about you know she hears she hears a, a, a the wind, you know, she hears the sound of the wind, and she looks up and. She doesn't see anything moving. There's no branch moving, no leaf, you know, fluttering. There is nothing moving. And then again, she hears this little twitter of the wind. And again, nothing until she looks one more time and she sees this light arrive in the grotto that then she sees Blessed Mother. And so I, I find that interesting that she... The, I don't know the young woman portraying uh, Mary, but that she flitters in like that wind. She flitters in so quickly and then she flitters in and then she and Bernadette, they flitter together and then all of a sudden she's gone. <laughs> you know? So I just, I, I think that's a nice, a nice, a really nice element. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you were aware of that, uh, that piece of it. Well, I, I think I did have this idea of showing the apparitions so like the fact that Mary appeared on specific days, but mm -hmm. they were not super regular. They did not happen at the same day or the same time. Um, 
there were periods of time where Mary didn't come for a while. Um, and of course there was the final apparition in which Mary did not come anymore. Yeah. And I, and I think what's really nice about this piece too, or, or nice, you know, portrayed really well too, is, you know, the, the recounts of all the people, you know, everybody there didn't obviously didn't see blessed mother Bernadette saw her, you know, mm. and Bernadette again, never said she was blessed mother. You know, she didn't mm -hmm. know, she didn't know it was Mary. So I, uh, what I, what I like as I keep watching it is that Mary, obviously she's a central figure in this piece, but it's not all about her. It's about Bernadette. It's about Bernadette and her experience and seeing through her eyes, you know, which is so integral to the story because, you know, my experience with Lords and, and the reading of Lords and any accounts where Blessed Mother has appeared, you know, it's the through the seer's eyes and what the message that Blessed Mother uh, wants told to the world and to those around um, and what what she brings. And it's not and she takes the focus off of her. You know, Blessed Mother takes the focus off of her. She doesn't put it the focus on the seer either, but the message. So that that's I'm seeing that as we're we're unpacking it so yeah great wow yeah that's well, awesome let's continue that's okay yes. <laughs> I'm just gonna continue right where we are this is one of the clips that you had um you had marked off also just want to, um, you know, talk about a little bit what we just saw too, you know, um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, there are probably many ways of interpreting this section. Um, but some of the most, the bare bone things that I was thinking about were, um, I wanted to have Mary come again in an apparition to St. Bernard to Bernadette. And, um, and this time it established a motif of um, digging in the mud, um, which Mary asked uh, Bernadette to do at one of the early apparitions. Um, so there's this motif where Mary like kind of goes down to the ground and brings her hands up like in front of her down to the ground and brings them up and unfolds them um, to represent like the digging in the ground and what might come out of that, which um, like St. Bernadette, when she did that, what came out was um, it looked muddy at first, but then it became clear water. The clear water, um, when it 
um, people have touched the waters. They have experienced miraculous healing. So anyway, that's, I just wanted to establish that motif and connect those dots to the movement. And then what Bernadette in this screenshot that she's, she's about to like replicate the digging into the ground motif Mm -hmm. and then go to the, she's about to come to the corner and um, establish the digging scene itself. So in the scene, though, that we just established, wanted to highlight Mary again, appearing to Bernadette, um, highlight the, um, the um, I don't know, uh, just the, um, how, how should we call Mary? She's revered, reverent. Um, her, um, a de- her, the embodiment of her. her, her yeah, life, just her life. Yeah, her character, her purity, her like she's. Is- lifted off the ground in a way like she almost doesn't touch the ground but she does mm-hmm. um because she was she lived here on earth but she's also like so elevated um in her um in her sanctity that's maybe the right word yeah yeah um so anyway that's kind of what i wanted to establish in this scene and then again the digging in the ground which bernadette is yes. about to replicate let's watch that let's Let's uh, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, let's talk about the couple uh, that came that came across and the digging. We can talk about all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, Bernadette, she goes to the corner. She digs. She kind of pours the mud or the water on her by doing that over her face. The dancers around her are um, capturing the essence of water, and the the couple in the corner. Um, the music gets a little dark and somber. So it's like, what do I do there? Um, oh, oh yes. There's hurt in the world. There's, and specifically in the story of, uh, Lords, one of the first miracles was a woman whose elbow or arm was healed. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to portray that. And so this, the man assists this woman to come to the water and she puts her, Mm-hmm. Um, in the, in the ballet, I just had her delicately put her hand in, but she's holding her elbow, puts her hand towards Bernadette. And then kind of at that pluck of the, the music, she is like healed. That's to represent healing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I was thinking about for, for and this. I, and what I'm, what I'm, I'm enjoying about it too, is the reverence that you show towards this. And and what I mean by that is, um, you know, again, I think it's just reflective of, of you, you know, that, that this story to you and this place and Bernadette and blessed mother that they're held, you're, you're holding their story really reverently. 
you know, and I think so often, and, and I go back to what you were saying about the time period during the pandemic when you created this. So often, you know, we want to take a story that makes people hopeful, that makes people believe, um, gives, you know, or is part of their belief system, and the world wants to trash it and, you know, muddy it, you know, and you are treating this, this time in history, this happened in history, this story happened in history with great reverence, you know, um, and so this, uh, I'm finding the the gentleness of all of it, the gentleness of the movement and the gentleness of the, um, the, this music and the flowing of the costumes um, really shows uh, the that reverence to to this story. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Great. So happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, you know, and I will continue to say it because I said it to you before. I think it could be a whole piece. You know, a whole big. I'm not saying it's not a piece. What I mean is, yeah. It can be, expanded upon so but maybe not maybe it can't be maybe that's just my desire right no so, yeah I, I hope that it can be expanded let's put it that way I I, I have ideas so okay. hopefully in the near future that will happen yeah um, I am going to go to um, the next part I'm going to skip forward a little bit to one of the clips you had wanted uh, to go through it was Mary and Bernadette's conversation, you call it. Mm -hmm. Conversation. I'm sorry, I keep pausing these in funny, funny positions. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this again, I think something to point out is that with this piece, I had these elements of the story that I wanted to highlight, but I was again trying not to be too literal with them so that everyone could come to the piece without having known anything about Lords and they would still understand something about the piece and about. Um, and get like some kind of message from it. Um, whether or not they got the story of Lords, mm -hmm. it's like, I, I, that wasn't really the overall intent, but I was specifically in this context, I was thinking, um, I suppose maybe just kind of, you know, in movies, how they do a montage yeah. <laughs> and they put together lots of scenes. It's almost like this scene is putting together lots of, um, scenes of the apparitions of Mary to Bernadette all into one conversation um, or having this one conversation be uh, the model of all of the conversations that Bernadette had when she appeared to Mary or sorry, the one that Mary had appearing to Bernadette. Um, but in this one, I was specifically thinking about 
how Mary asked Bernadette um, to have everyone pray for penance or to, to pray and to repent. And then to also build a church, to have a church built at the grotto, the side of the grotto. So um, that's what I was envisioning for this book, kind of a compilation of all of the apparitions put into one scene, and then specifically the intent to build a church there yeah, at yeah. the site of the apparitions. Nice. Uh, yeah, nice. Let's um, I continue. I'm going to go forward to the next um, section. Yeah, so what you were just saying, you know, this church being built, right? And it's it's really, um, yeah, it's, again, I, I just love the imagery, you know, and, and it's that it's not literal, um, you know, that it is, it suggests. And to hear you, um, to put it in the context, what you were saying earlier um, about creating this in response to a need for healing at the time that you did it, you know, um, I guess it's, it's almost a year ago, right? That, that you had, you had created this piece, um, you know, and, and at a time where people are seeking and want in seeking healing, seeking more, you know, that I think the pandemic, um, and, you know, so many people have said this, but because it literally caused us to stop, I mean, we literally had to pause everything. Um, you know, there was a lot of soul searching going on. Um, and a lot of people made changes, right. Or discovered things that just didn't work for them anymore, or perhaps didn't, they didn't realize that weren't working the way they should be in their life. Um, and, and then went ahead and were courageous enough to, to move out of that and, and make the changes. We were all forced to, to make changes, um, and you know, as much as everyone tries to like get back to normal, you know, there is no normal, like that's gone. I, I feel for me, I feel like there's now this newness, like this rebirth that has been given this opportunity, um, that has come from the pandemic, uh, you know, not to discount the terrible loss of life. I don't mean it like that. I don't think people will hear it that way. Um, but I think it caused us, and I know it caused me to really, you know, spend a lot of time digging, <laughs> digging and, and, and thinking and praying and seeing and, and, uh, yeah. So, um, and then you come out of this, you know, you come out of it, like you see it from that this church is built, you know, um, and this, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Do you have anything you want to add to that? I'll just say, I mean, this was one of my favorite 
um, parts of the choreography. And the idea for this scene came very early on during the choreographic process. When when I heard um, Lauren Vandervelden is the composer for this piece of music, and I was paired with her through the New York Choreographic Institute, but also she was a student at Juilliard studying composition and she plays the violin. So, um, but anyway, when I heard this part in her music, I was like, I know exactly what to do. And so I, I called it church in my, in like my notes because it just, she, and she told me herself, like the, the, like the steady, um, the pulse of, I think the harp and maybe a few other instruments, but especially the harp, the steady ringing huh? is like church bells, oh, um, wow. like a, like a cathedral's church bells. And so I was like, wow. Okay. Um, and I knew I wanted Mary to be in the middle and that I had this idea for everyone to um, be venerating her. So like in the Catholic church, we, we don't worship Mary, but we venerate her. We honor her and we revere her above all saints because she is the mother of God, the mother of Jesus Christ. So um, in this scene, there's a veneration of Mary that is happening. And what I think is special too, is that to be even more specific, there's a man behind her supporting her. And so like that, you know, you could interpret that as being um, to Jesus through Mary, like literally Mary's in front of Jesus, the bearer of life, like to us. So um, that, that was, that's what this scene is encapsulating. And um, I did pull from I got inspiration too from George Balanchine's Allegro Brilliant because a few years ago I did the core of that piece. And there's this scene where um, I think it's called like ribbon tying or something like that, where you do all of these very specific vertebras on like a one count, every movement of your hand and arm has one count. Wow. And so with the, with the core dancers, and we're kneeling when that happens oh, okay. I, yeah, for some of it. So anyway, I was thinking of that and like, instead of the core facing the audience, which is what George Balanchine did with Allegro Brilliant, they're on their knees, they're doing these delicate arm gestures, um, but very precise. I had the core face Mary ah, okay. so that it, yeah, yes. so that it, um, cause I, I just love that part in Allegro Brilliant, but, um, course i'm not going to copy george balanchine and um, but i just took that image and made it turned it into like reversed it and um took inspiration from that and it's interesting you know when you talk about all the hand movement you know there is i can't the, the terminology isn't coming to mind right at this minute but when i was in acting school there was um there was a specific uh style of acting and it's going to drive me crazy i'll think about it later um <laughs> but you study all the um every part every gesture you made meant something and every part of your hand or your arm or your body that you gestured with told the audience something and so when you're saying that it's the same kind of thing you know it's that the, the part or how open you are like you know you're we learn that in ballet right you know when your legs are crossed or when you're open or when you're, your facing is where your shoulders are you know it all communicates something so subtle or not subtle right to the audience so those things all those elements play into you know to come into play 
um, and and communicate, communicate. And that's what we started saying. That's what we started about, you know, dance where, you know, we're communicating with our body, um, you know, so really beautiful. I'm going to continue. Okay. Okay, Let's see. Uh, Shall I skip forward or just play to the end? Which do you prefer I do? I'm I'm playing till the end. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just play it because then people can go back and find it and watch the whole thing start to finish. Yes. talk about the the music too like i just um although you at this moment it's so i feel like i need to have like something i have to have a moment you know um the music she really what's her name again i'm sorry what, what did yeah, you say? lauren vandervelden i mean she did such an amazing amazing job with the music really it's so um ethereal ethereal is the only word i can think of uh right now um it it i could just listen to it i feel like i could have it on, on play replay you know because it really uh is is beautiful and i, I like how um at the end you know because endings are really difficult well some people find them difficult you might not you know you might not find that difficult but what you did and perhaps this is your your training your balancing training um it's that it ends but then there's a little bit more a little, <laughs> little bit more a 
a little bit more, a little bit until it <laughs> finishes, right? I love that. I love that because it it just it fills it. It 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 goes out with you. It it draws the curtain down. It just is beautiful. Talk. Can you talk about that? That quality. Yeah, you actually articulated something that I hadn't really thought about, but something that I love so much about the music is that it just it. You're right. It keeps going up. Like there's an arc, and it keeps going up, 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 up. And you don't really know when it's going to stop. And then it stops almost without you realizing it. And it's like, it's kind of like infinity. It's maybe like a representation of like infinity and like timelessness. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, yeah, the end came, the end I had like a little stumbling block, but it actually wasn't the hardest part of the piece for me because Somehow I was just given because of the the delicacy of the music. I knew that it had to be simple, but again, that the movements came together like a puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I did uh, want specifically when the dancers are in the corner and then Mary appears. Mm-hmm. Um, well. I should say I get a lot of, again, I get a ton of inspiration from the music and the music. If you listen carefully, um, I think an attentive ear, you'll know what to do with it. If you just listen over and over again or very attentively. Um, But anyway, I heard that I think it's the cello come in. And I was like, that's Mary. That's going to be Mary. She's going to come onto the scene. It's a delicate voice. Um, and then the dancers are going to be in the front and then they're going to just come together, but the dancers back up and Mary comes to him. Um, and then I took again, inspiration from my roots, um, being like a Balanchine trained dancer. And one of the ballets that first captivated me was Balanchine Serenade. And in it, I just love the beginning where the dancers stand parallel and they have their hand up. And one of the first, yeah, it's like over here and they're looking like they're trying to block light from their hand, Um, but they just open their feet to first position and it's very simple. And it's one of the first positions you learn as it is first position, but it's also one of the first positions you learn as a ballet dancer. So, and these are students of the school of American ballet. They're like not yet professionals, but right, like right at the cusp of becoming a professional. So just that, that was a big homage to all of their training, the George Balanchine legacy. Um, and then um, in Balanchine's Mozartiana, uh, there's an opening section that's called the prayer. Oh. And I took lots of inspiration from that. And again, not like not copying it, but like putting a fresh spin on it mm-hmm. and putting perhaps an even more concrete uh prayerful intention behind some of those um shapes that he made in the that prayer section of Mozartiana. But in it there's these um shapes that the main woman makes. And it was made on Suzanne Farrell, who was a practicing Catholic. Okay. Um, or at least that's that's what I understand. And um but in, in Mozartiana she does a section with these prayer hands. And then the prayer hands okay. Yeah, and the prayer hands open, and then that section finishes with this 
open gesture as all of the dancers are replicating in different shapes, like some on the ground and kneeling and um, slightly bent knees and one being supported, obviously very supported. Um, but yeah, to taking, um, in a way it's like this ending is just a great, um, a, like a prayer of gratitude for my training in the Balanchine, um, history and the technique, um, and just compiling all of those things with the story of Lords. Yeah. Yeah. And like, again, that, that melting of the two themes of the, the spirituality of healing and then the physicality of healing that can happen through dance. Yeah. Yes. Like those two nice. things come together at the end. Nice. Um, yeah. Talk yeah. about that for a minute. Cause again, you know, and I think we, we alluded to it earlier on, you know, but that, that thing, you know, that we talk about, that dance provides art, you know, art provides it, but our vehicle is dance. And it does, like you said, you know, you said it so eloquently that, that it provides that healing, you know, and I think that's what draws, especially kids and teenagers. You know, I, I, I say that because having the studio for so many years, you know, the kids would be like, or their parents would come and say, you know, they could be having the worst day, but they want to go to dance class you know, because it really, you know, it, it does something to you. And I think when you, I mean, gosh, you know, you, you could go down so many avenues when it comes to, to dance and the body and the whole bit, but there really is something to be said about the instrument of the body and, you know, how it's, it's made and how it responds to energy and how it responds to the surroundings you know what's around it to the people around it you know if if something frightens us how we you know or we move towards um and and so for for the ability to be able to express that and to let all that perhaps if you've had pent-up energy you know or you've had something going on all day and you can just let it out when you're dancing no matter what you're dancing right you know, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's dancing for me, uh, you know, all these years has, it's this concept, I'm constantly unpacking, like we said, you know, what it is that's drawn me to this profession, you know, and it, it, it definitely, the older I get, the more I realize, like, I was supposed to be in this profession, like, I'm right where I'm supposed to be, moving towards whatever the next part of that means, like we all do and grow, but um, that's that's why it speaks to me, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah, I mean, there's so many things we can say, but um, I think a, a, a word that maybe we haven't touched upon is like freedom, mm -hmm. and like and how we can be com so completely free of so many burdens, distractions when we use our bodies in a very elevating and like divine like way. Um, again, because we're not speaking, it's almost like this language of just of movement requires a greater um, intuition and intentionality. 
Um, we can experience some greater joys by when we don't have distraction of other things, when we're just moving our bodies. I think music has a lot to do with that because also I think listening to music is very healing on its own. But then when you bring your body to it, it just, I feel like it shoots the the healing potential upwards. Um, yeah. And then, I um, mean, God, God came to us through Jesus Christ in the form of a human, uh, of a man, and God created all of us. So we have like a, we are embodiments of, of God, like little temples of Christ, little temples of God um, here on earth. And we can, we can choose to accept that grace that we've been given as children of God or to deny it. And I think, um, I think movement and dance has is like a is a vessel for allowing us all to realize wow we are children of a divine being and we are we are greater than so many of our um our burdens and our loads and our sufferings and all these things um but yeah that that um god became man and that we have that same, um, that flesh, that physicality that God embodied when he became Jesus Christ through Mary. And that we also have, like God became man, we also have divine elements in us that we can access by using our physical body. So I think all of those things come together. And ultimately, if we can, we can use our bodies for good and truth and beauty, um, we can tap into the divine yeah. and experience freedom. Yeah. So to circle back to freedom, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, no. And, and it brings me back to, um, you know, you know, I began with that quote and I have another one, you know, I have another one from that same encyclical. Um, and these are the things like I had shared early on that, you know, I bring with me while I'm creating and while I'm even doing these interviews too, like, what is, what am I being asked here? What's the, what's the message, you know, what's the message um, or, or what's making my, my interview flow or, or who is this person, you know, who is this being in front of me that I'm going to have this encounter with, you know? Um, and, and I, I just think it's, it's an amazing thing. And, and this quote um, and again, it's at the end of the encyclical and it's what, um, John Paul II says to artists. And this was all the way back in 1999. You know, he says, my hope for all of you who are artists is that you will have an especially intense experience of creative inspiration. May the beauty which you pass on to generations still come to be such that it will stir them to wonder. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. So, so with that, Claire, I think, uh, this was really wonderful, really, you know, a beautiful, um, experience to, to unpack your beautiful work and your beautiful piece of choreography. Um, I, I always treasure my time getting to chat with you and, uh, you know, talk about, talk about everything. Um, I thank you for, 
for Instagram Live. I thank you for this. I know we will be in touch. And um, I just thank you. And I wish you lots of luck for, for, for your new career, you know, your new or your new portion of your career and what's in store, what's in store for you. Um, I think lots of good things coming, coming your way. Is there any, any parting words you wish to share with everyone or, um, words of wisdom thus far? No, I, I think we've shared a lot and I just want to thank you for this time too, because I've actually gotten to unpack so many things that I haven't really expressed before about this piece. So thank you for that opportunity. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, again, um, I just want to thank you and I just want to thank the listeners and thank everybody for listening. Uh, this is Dance Talk, uh, part two of my guest. This is Claire Kreshmar and I um, look forward to, to many, many more conversations and many more, um, dance talk so i wish everybody a great day and i wish you claire a great day and we will talk soon okay thank you bye Thanks, claire. bye bye everybody